Welcome everyone to today's Scaling with People podcast. I'm going to recur your host, and I'm excited to have Chris and Lynn here from Inspire. There's some wonderful stories they're going to share about their experiences, founders, and some of the lessons learned. And then we're going to dive into some performance ideas. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself to get us started? Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Wallerman and CEO of Inspire. And I started my career in uh, big companies for the first 10 years out of college as an engineer. And uh, being in a part of some toxic cultures, like we decided that we wanted to start something on our own. So we started in 1997 with seven people in a software company. And um, we went for about 25 years and had some really good results. We sold the company about a year ago. But about in the middle of the company, we were starting to see some flat growth. And so we wanted to apply some of our leadership development learnings around goals and strategy as well as continuous performance management. And there really wasn't any good tools on the market. So we decided to create one ourselves called Inspire. And we saw in the first year of implementation, our engagement shot through the roof and our retention uh, went to record levels and is sustained even through the great resignation time. So um, we showed it to Ken Blanchard and some other leadership companies that uh, the, the type of things that we were applying and they encourage us to get it out into the public. And um, and so we have many clients now and we're excited to be just focused on this as another startup. Some people think we're crazy that we're doing another startup, but <laughs> we're, uh, we're excited about it and excited to share some of the lessons learned that we have. That's awesome. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, startup bug, I, I it's for real, right? You get bit and you're like, okay, I'm never going back. <laughs> Lynn, introduce yes. yourself. Hi, I'm Lynn Wallerman, Chris's wife, as he said, and a crazy co-partner uh, deciding <laughs> to uh, start up a, a new small business again after uh, recently, recently selling a larger one. And uh, I have my degree in engineering and business. And uh, so I think we we always really thought we wanted to uh, be entrepreneurs and and start businesses of our own and and run them in a way where we could build the kind of culture that was family oriented and um, really uh, empowered people. And so this second time around, we are really uh, hoping to help focus on helping other businesses do that. So hopefully we can help someone out there with a few tidbits. I love it. So double, uh, double, owners here on the call today and also double experience in the fact that you're starting a second business. So tell me double crazy, the, double crazy. <laughs> Maybe it's quadruple two times two, right? right. <laughs> oh man, we do love our startup world. So tell me like, what were some of the things that you were struggling with in that first business? You had it for over 20 years. Uh, you know, founders that are on the call listening who may, you know, be at that 20 to 10 employee or even 50 employee Maybe they're at that 10 million revenue. They're trying to get to that 50 million from your experience. Like I'd love to hear some stories from you guys of just things that you went through um, that you learned from that you would be like, man, if everyone, every founder could just know this thing, what would it, it to help them grow their business or not make this mistake and have a step backwards? I just love to hear some stories from you guys. Sure. Lend I'll take one. that one. I think hiring, <laughs> hiring, right. You know, mm -hmm. the recruiting of the right people to begin with that uh, really fit your values and your culture and understand your mission and vision. And uh, we are now, you know, we later on in the, in the large business, 
we picked up on performance-based hiring and uh, and also getting away from paper tracking and, and using systems to track and being able to see how your recruiting metrics are working and not just for recruiting, other types of performance metrics as well. So that would be a biggie that I would say uh, really trying to get right after floundering and struggling um, through some bad hires um, in our first business. I think culture fit is so important. I mean, especially when it comes to the values side of the house, right? When you're a startup, you may not be able to compete with the Googles of the world. You're not going to be able to give someone, you know, the above market range with all this bonus and they only have to work 30 hours a week. That's not the reality of a startup, right? That's right. Uh, so having the values match, that's key because that's what drives the person to get up every morning and work 60 hours a week, <laughs> 80 hours a week, what you really need. I have a question on that hiring because I've had I've had a couple of conversations with different CEOs and everyone seems to have a different philosophy. I'd love to learn what yours was. Obviously, startups, you have a you know finite amount of money in the bank account before you have to go get funding. Do you look at hiring at the beginning, not only at the value level, but like what, how do you look at experience? Do you try to go out and find entrepreneurs that you can teach? Or do you try to find someone who's kind of been there and done that? What's that look like? What, what, what did that look like for you guys? Yeah, I'll take that. Um, it's, I think it's a balance. You know, we, when we started the first company, we were all similar age, similar experience, which was very little. And when it came to the business world. <laughs> And so um, I think it probably took us about 10 years before we went out and started trying to bring some others in as we were growing really rapidly. Um, but I would say cult culture was really the most important thing and uh, people that were lifelong learners. So we were very interested in learning about how to expand our business and, a, and the leadership development. Um, that's one thing I always recommend is there's some great programs out there that can help you become better coaches to your people and making sure um, as you're selecting leaders, a lot of the ways that we interview is to have people describe their history of work, but not so much around their skills, um, but how did they get along with their manager and how did they get along with their teams and why did they leave and why did they move on? And uh, you can pick up a lot of subtle um, nuances about the, their cultural and values, even when you're not asking those direct questions. So that's helped us a lot, just really get that culture match. And then we certainly brought in experienced people to help uh, as, as we got to certain stages in the company. And when we got to 10 to 20 million, and we ultimately got to about 60 million and each of those steps, you, you need professionals like to um, win big government contracts we needed some good credibility on the team. So um, bringing people like that on that could really help us with the experience and the, the types of work that we were doing for the government. Yeah, we think of the term of uh, think like an owner and trying to find the people with the energy and grit that that think about how a business is successful from the beginning at the early stages. And so the, that is dependent on the person and then we found that we, so we had a range of uh, juniors to seniors that had that mindset and that uh, was the right way to spend the money. It was well worth it. Yeah. Cause if you do too much inexperience, even entrepreneurs, you don't have that experience 
skill set to pull from and learn from. So I love that you've got a mixture, probably that also fit the budget you guys had at the time of the life cycle uh, is always, you know, I mean, money is important <laughs> when we make these decisions as well. Uh, you can't exactly bring in a chief revenue officer if you're only at 10 million. It probably doesn't make sense to do it at that point in time, right? Uh, so uh, Lynn, you had said earlier assessments um, during the hiring process. Have you found tools like uh, predictive index or dice or um, there's some Meyer Briggs, there's so many out there. Yeah. Did you, when you, when you were saying assessments, did you actually use a tool like that? Or were you just like an internal assessment that you and your team created? Yes. What, within our company, we've, we've done the Myers Briggs, we've done the disc assessments. And so we're very familiar with, uh, all those different levels of, of, um, dispositions and personality trait types. So we do find ourselves focusing heavily on that during an interview process and recruiting process and and then trying to hone in on depending on what the what the role is we're hiring for um what is what is a good fit for for that kind of a role is it an execution role is it in a creative thinking role that kind of thing and then and then also uh trying to ensure a balance on the team. So you don't get all of one type. Um, we, we, a lot of times will bring our teams up. Speaking of tools, we'll bring our, bring our teams up and, and look at the faces of all the people on the team and seeing what dispositions there are and are all the different types of dispositions and personality traits represented. Um, because even though that may be difficult at times during execution of, of whatever goals it is you're trying to get done, it also brings the best ideas and the best innovation. Absolutely. Diversity of thought. Go um, ahead, Chris. When it comes to DISC, I think one of the success factors that we believe um, helped us last 25 years and, and be in a really good position was um, Lynn and I as co-founders are very dis different dispositions. She's C, which is analytical, detail-oriented, conservative on change, and I'm a D, which is very aggressive, wanting to spend money, wanting to get out there quickly. Spend all the money. Yeah. And so her <laughs> as CFO, CEO. You know, <laughs> yep. would, would keep keep me in check. And and we always would say, you know, if, if, if it were to me running the company, we would have gone bankrupt probably in the first or second year. But um, because of that balance and having somebody there to assure that you're looking at all angles. And then, of course, I is more bringing the social aspect in and S is a service level. So you start to appreciate and, and um, hope that you have a balance yourself of that. But when your team is well-rounded with the different dispositions, it certainly uh, makes a, makes a much better business. Absolutely. And even like whatever assessment tool uh, listeners are, are using or maybe considering what I love about them is this, it just helps everyone kind of see each other maybe in a different light and and help them understand how to communicate with each other. Why am I, why do I keep hitting the wall with Lynn? I want to spend this money and Lynn's not letting me. Oh, because she's very <laughs> analytical. And she knows that if I do this, I'm going to bankrupt the company. Okay. Now I'm going to stop fighting her so much, right? Like there's that thought process that helps kind of congeal the team a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and when we figure out each other's languages and how we approach things and we can talk to them and how, how they speak or think, not how we speak or think, 
um, then it, it can make all the difference in the world to collaborating or breaking down a wall to collaboration where it had been there before. Yeah. Which goes back to probably the culture and the values that you have for your business and being able to make that just be a more solid foundation for it. Yeah. That's it's even harder with teenagers. <laughs> well, that's a whole other startup <laughs> functionality. We're not going right, to right. do today, but yes. Sorry, I went off track. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. I love it. Uh, so jumping a little bit over. Okay. So you guys were successful. And then as we said earlier, crazy enough just to do it all over again. I'd love to learn more about the passion behind your Inspire and, and why you really thought, okay, there's a, I got to be honest, we've talked about this. There's a lot of performance management tools out there. And and where what was the hole or, or um, issue you were trying to solve by creating this and bringing it to market? Yeah, I would say there was really a lot of, a lot of performance and even still today, I, I think things have changed a little bit and people are seeing the value of more continuous. But when we were starting Inspire back in 2013, 14, um, there weren't really any performance tools that allowed you to work in a continuous fashion, meaning frequent conversations that you're tracking and you have, have some kind of tools to give conversation starters and, you know, ways to, ways to have some frame of reference along the way. So that was really when we were working with Blanchard and their situational leadership model, it's a great way to have one-on-one -on -one conversations around performance and how people are doing on their goals. Um, but there were no tools really to implement it. You just had to kind of go through the course and um, and then trust that your managers were going to use that philosophy. Um, but when we built Inspire, it was putting those tools to work by allowing people to set goals at the strategy level, individual level, but then apply, kind of diagnose themselves on where they're at on their development level for each of their goals. And then when the manager would meet one-on-one, -on -one, they would match the right leadership style to the situation of where they were in their development level. So if somebody is at um, a early stage on a goal, they need a lot of direction. And some people might see that as micromanagement, but in the right situation, good direction is, is what's needed. And then as they progress through, they need support. And then when they're at the achieving level on the goal, they don't need lots of direction they need to, you know, be delegated. And so just people realizing that you can, um, you know, have, have these different leadership styles and be successful and have a tool that will guide you through that. So that was really key in creating Inspire and allowing all, all the time that, that usually happens between a performance agreement at the beginning of the year and a performance appraisal at the end, there's a ton of time of, of work happening there that performance coaching needs to happen. And that's really what the tool was created for. Yeah. And, and having uh, another driver was bringing assessments or appraisals from paper and PDFs and things to a tool that managers had access to all the data even in the past, rather than digging through files and, you know, trying to see, because if you're lucky, your people stay around 10 or more years. And that's a lot of information and data and, and career nurturing that you're doing. And you need a way to, uh, you know, work with that data. And the, the other part of it is, is it's really eye-opening when you're you're uh, trying to align your entire organization to what the mission or the goals of the entire company is, 
And we really were able to see, you know, how does an accountant align to the company's mission when they might feel like, oh, I'm just crunching numbers. And if you don't have everyone rowing in the same direction and working on the same kind of goals for success at the company, um, it's it can be sometimes working against you. So it was very eye-opening to start to try to include everyone and align everyone to what the mission of the company was. And this allowed us to really get our arms around all of that and and uh, and then start to work towards filling the gaps where we saw them. Yeah, that makes sense. So we talked a little bit lessons learned on your past company. Have you been able to take that into consideration building this new one? And if so, what are some different lessons that you've been learning along the way of this journey of this business? Well, certainly um, just by having gone through it all, <laughs> you know, the, especially the first, the startup years of the first five years, you, I think that's probably where you learn the most about hiring the right people, as Lynn mentioned. Um, one of the things that I always talk about is having some tools for managers and leaders that can really help get everybody on the same page and, and come up with a common language and culture. Um, so we, we didn't have that in the, in the first company and this, the second time around, we certainly, you know, are very strong on clarifying our values, having frequent offsites with our entire team and, um, refreshing them on that. So people don't, don't lose sight of what the company's about and, and how we want to behave and how we want to run our processes and, and uh, treat our customers. And really pushing the leadership courage, I would say, more so than in the beginning, where we really didn't know we were brand new um, business people, business partners. And uh, when you make a mistake or you need to make a change, tackle it earlier rather than later. Don't wait too long till the, the issue becomes much larger than in the beginning. So that leadership courage and really allowing everyone, because we look at everyone as a leader. I'm not sure we did that way back when, 25 years ago, but now we talk about everyone as a leader and is responsible for that self-guidance and then moving on to the team perspective and the one-on-one -on -one perspective and, and then company support. So um, I think that was something different. And then something I'm doing a little different this time is a little bit more outsourcing on the infrastructure side of things. Rather than hiring all HR or all accounting or all IT and support, um, we're a smaller team now and we're trying out the um, when we need something or just in time kind of outsourcing support um, is, uh, is, is something different we're doing now. And I think in these times of post-COVID where it's not going to ever be the same as it was again, everyone coming to the office and collaborating, um, you, we need to take advantage of how that looks now. Yeah, the fractional world certainly is blowing up. And, you know, I was just talking to a fractional salesperson earlier today and, and he's like, well, I'm, um, I'm, I'm too old to be hired. I forget what he called it. He had a term. I had never heard the term. And, and he's like, that's why I've done this fractional thing because I have the experience and the knowledge, but people can't afford me full time, but I can at least guide them right through the process they need. So that's really smart, Lynn. And, uh, something that definitely I try to help our CEO and founders that are listening that 
you know, there's so many levels of experienced people, not just chief level, right? But, uh, and so many parts of the business that can come in and help, you know, lift you up and not have you be in the weeds. Cause as founders, that's the last thing that you guys should be in. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another big point to make is we got to start up a, a guidance, guidance counselor, if you will, and specialist that's uh, very smart in, in the space we're in and um, in seeing small companies move on to success. We're doing that very differently than uh, we did before as well. And, and our, are very happy with that. That's great. Well, anything else that you guys like to share with the audience, any other lessons, learns, or tips or tricks that, you know, man, I wish uh, another founder had told me and through my, my, my career here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's, it's a really exciting time. I think because we're in technology, you know, we've gravitated towards AI and incorporated a lot Mm -hmm. of that into our products. And um, we are, Lynn and I were both up at um, Irresistible 2023 with Josh Burson. He had an excellent conference, a lot of AI themes. And, you know, the common question people have, especially in HR, but I think at the executive level is, will AI replace me? And his response was, the only ones that will be replaced are the ones that, de- that ignore it and don't embrace it. So I think embracing AI, but what we're seeing is it can really be a game changer when it comes to performance management. Um, it's, we're, we're collecting all this data of having one-on-one meetings and goal updates and accomplishments and feedback, put, put that to work in the AI when you're doing appraisals to be able to have a full, um, quality summary and the quality of writing we've seen really improve as well. And it's cutting managers time in half by, um, uh, giving you first drafts of write-ups and things. So that's, that's something really exciting that we wish we would have had. I wish I had it as an IC. I remember the days and I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I even hear my husband talking about it even today, right? Like, oh, I got to write my review. Oh, I got to create a goal. I don't know what goal I need to make. I don't even know what the company goal is. And I have seen your demo of how the AI supports that. It is really cool, really slick. Uh, And I think that is like the the key thing there. It's it's not, you're not going to be replaced. Uh, but those that don't embrace it and know how to use it, you will be right. Like you need to continue to, it's going back to your mindset of learning, right? You need to continue to learn and let the tool take a lot of that administrative burden off your plate, whatever level you are. I'm a mathematician. Writing is not what I enjoy. And as soon as I had <laughs> access to ChatGPT, let me tell you, it was doing 80% of my writing for sure. Uh, it made my life a lot better. <laughs> Both engineers yeah, in a similar way. And it's almost like <laughs> you see, you put a couple of phrases in of what they've accomplished and help me write a nice write-up for it and just comes out. And and we, of course, you know, try to teach managers ethics to not just use what the robot gives you, but right. use it as a starting point and as a first draft and put your own language into it. Um, but we've, it's almost fun. Most people dread performance management or hate it because of the lack of value, but mm-hmm. now that it's bringing in all the data and it's bringing in the, the first draft writing and stuff, it's actually enjoyable to do. Yeah, use an AI where you dread something where it's not your favorite task to do. It can be energizing yeah. uh, because it gets you off the blank sheet of paper or the roadblock that you're facing. It's so true. And I think that like I could just see it also helps reduce the time everyone is doing this task and can give that time back to your business to have them be pr- productive in their role 
So that's also a time saver too. Absolutely. Yeah. I have Maybe to say, it'll okay. save us a lot of legal costs and things that, <laughs> uh -oh. uh, that is not our favorite topics, right? Exactly. Legal and <laughs> HR, all that minimize that. stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have to admit, knowing that this is going to be uh, provided out to the world early on, I actually used uh, ChatGPT to create my Christmas cards this year. <laughs> I think my sister-in-law did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, Chris and Lynn, it's been a blast. I'm sure there are plenty more stories that I could pull from you today, but I appreciate your time and thank you so much for sharing your stories and lessons learned. And I hope those that are listening have learned a little bit about what you know mistakes you guys learn from, and so they don't have to make the same. So thank you again for joining us today. Great. Thanks for having us. <laughs>